Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, the Friday night preview show. Because it is Friday night, it is just gone past three minutes past seven. So we're relatively early for us and those who are listening on Mixler who have got their spread bet in action for a five past seven start. We win yet again. Anyway, as I said, I'm Stanford Chidge and on the show, of course, as always, is the wonderful, masterful Mr. Jonathan Kidd, the legend and the hero of the Chelsea fan nights. <laughs> so much i don't deserve it my head is 420 times the size of what it was due to that um peroration thank you Chidge, very much lovely to be on the show lovely to see you as always jk who have we got with us tonight well it's it's rare and uh consequently it's such a delight to have her on the show it's the the brilliant girl without balls um the, the fantastic historian the uh the witty the uh, the charming the the lovely um and uh, i should stop, say stop. You, you stop. <laughs> and um an absolutely excellent alex churchill who we've missed mm. i've missed you too you bastards <laughs> <laughs> it is I genuinely love lovely to see you alex i have to say it's been way it, too long everything i said was genuine yeah, there, yeah. I've missed you too. I've missed the fan class. I've missed missed having a place to... Well, actually, there's not that much ranting required at the moment, is there? Well, we can always find something to rant about, Alex. I'm you know sure. us. We could rant about the rest. Has stopped ranting about Werner yet? No, we could rant about... Um, uh, no, I, I, well, well, he's been injured. Um, but I haven't ranted as a kind of acceptance. No, I've... I've um, uh, that he will get picked from time to time. Um, uh, no, I ranted about um, Kevin Friend, Um uh, in my fan bite, because he was too much. Oh, awful, absolutely. Anyway, sorry. I was just going to say, Alex, if you're keen to be back on the show, which I know every, I mean, I'm getting lots of love in Mixler. You know, Alex in the house, just tuned in, and very happy to hear you, Alex from Pierre. So you're getting love in the house. So I've just put a schedule out for the next. Uh, kind of, you know, November, December. So do feel free and tell me what your availability is, and of course, I will put you in. <sighs> Excellent. Right. Who else well, have we got on the, the show? What, what? Yes, thank you. The other great guest is uh, somebody who we're seeing quite a lot, and I'm pleased we're seeing a lot of mm. him. Um, he is equally erudite and uh, and percussive and perceptive. It is the uh, football.london journalist, Mr. Adam Newsom. Take it away, Adam. Oh, thank you very much, JK. No, thanks for having me back on, guys. I always enjoy it. Yeah, and uh, I do believe you are already oop north, Adam. Yes, yes, I am. I am in Sunderland visiting a mate ahead of the game tomorrow night. Um, so having ex- a weekend away, basically, almost. Mm, there we go. Well, of course, it does also mean that you're going to be at the game tomorrow, which I'm delighted to hear. Uh, sadly, none of the rest of us are, which does actually make a change. I mean, I'm I'm usually the, the worst offender in this category, uh, but uh, one of Alex and JK would normally be there, but not on this occasion. And talking oh, about... Oh, no, I boycotted this one five years in a row now. Have you? Why? Because we're always, we always suck. I could go to Europe and back in the timescale, but more so because they put you in the worst yeah. seats in the league. And they've managed choice. to con the league into saying that this is a health and safety thing and that's why they don't have to have any near the pitch. And because you, you go, you travel up there and back for 24 hours for a view of the John Lewis car park. And I say, nay. Yeah. Mm. yeah it's interesting they get away with that. They shouldn't, of course. Um, anyway, talking of being useless at getting to games at the moment, I uh, managed to miss the midweek game, the Carab- 
Bow Cup game. Hey! Just for you, JK. Yes, the carob- <laughs> the what? The caribou is a form of elk. I know. I know it is. I know. But I like you know why I call it caribou, even though you dug me out in your fan bite. You knew and you still dug me out in the fan bite. I don't think I've forgotten. Anyway, I, I wasn't able to go to the Carabao Cup match on Tuesday night. But that is where we're going to start up. Uh, I know all of the... Well, I think you were there, definitely, JK. I know Adam was there. Don't know about Alex. Were you there? Yep. You were there too? There you go. Full house part of me. American Heather to her first Chelsea game. Mm. And she is full on Chelsea. She raided the megastore and she's sufficiently brainwashed. Brilliant. Okay. Well, um, first up, I mean, I think... uh, the thing to say, I mean, I had, to, I had an infuriated, I did find a stream actually, but not until the second half, which is a bit irritating. So I'd kind of listen to the talk sport commentary. But I think the, you know, the the nuts and bolts of it really, Adam, much changed squad. Uh, and as JK said on his fan bite, very different from the one that even we predicted. But what I don't think we realised at the time was that that was down to just a ridiculous uh, kind of circumstances of Loftus Cheek, Aspie, and Christensen all getting injured beforehand. And the suspicion is that they would have started. But, you know, very, very kind of patched work side. But we did get the job done. And at the end of the day, that's what cup matches are all about, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And as you said, I think all three of those were penciled in to start. And the fact that they didn't um, did give the side a very makeshift feel. And obviously, Hudson and Doyle shifted back to right wing back where he wouldn't have played had uh, had Aspie been fit. Um Sell got another game in midfield, and it, it just felt all a bit um, disjointed for a lot of the game. But Chelsea got the job done. Um, I think you t- look. Thomas Tuchel said all the right things about the Carabao Cup. That you know, it's a competition, and Chelsea are in any competition they're in it to win it. But I think the reality is, if that was a, a, a half important league game or a, a Champions League game, that you would have probably seen Aspi play, and and these guys risk. So it does give a bit of an indication that look, the Carabao Cup is is uh, isn't top of Chelsea's priorities, but as long as they're in it, they're they're going to try to do their darndest to win it. And yeah, if it, if it takes penalty shootouts to get through, which is what it's done the last two rounds, then then so be it. And hey, it's maybe good experience for for later in the sort of bigger competitions that we're winning these shootouts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, J.K. I mean, given given the, I mean, look, I, I don't have a problem. I mean, I think Adam made a good point there that um, given the circumstances, given the the kind of thrown together nature of the team, I wouldn't have expected them to perform like, you know, European champions necessarily. But who who impressed you and who didn't? Um, Well, it was was a very cobbled together side. I was intrigued to see uh, Barkley up front with Havertz a lot of the time. He showed some silky touches, Barkley. I I know he's, he's clearly not there for the future, but he's not a... Um, not a waste of space. He appears to be paying attention to Tuchel. You don't see the glaring errors we've seen before. And um, and he's got some decent skill, as we know. It's just it's eradicating the, the idiocy with him. Um, uh, Saul was, uh, was much, much better revealing things that we had no idea about, like his ability to, to um, hang in the air and head the ball from distance towards the goal. And, of course, he's got a decent shot. And part of me keeps thinking, well, you know... Um, if he could play more regularly and become a, um, a well, become a regular, essentially, if he gets picked for uh, Tuchel thinks he's the man to to do the job, you're going to get a lot more goals from midfield than we have because he's a much better shot than, than Kovacic and uh, uh, Jorginho will ever be. However, um, as we discovered at the press conference today, um, TT has a great lot of man love for, uh, for Kovacic. 
who unfortunately is injured, who um, he just said was he, he'd coveted him as a player ever since he played at Real Madrid. Um, he thought he was completely brilliant. And he said, what do you say? He said, if he phoned him at three o'clock in the morning, he'd do some, um, uh, I have to say, we need some defensive uh, um, training going on. He'd be there for you. I was intrigued by by the, the approach that he had, because I'd never realised that they obviously do very specific stuff, defensive, attacking, and having the right kind of mental attitude. He, he, he basically said he was... He was absolutely delighted to be able to manage him, which was which was lovely because we I've never felt we've never had a kind of personal pen picture of of a of a of a favourite player that he's been with that he's been coaching. Um, so that that was um, he was unfortunately telling us he was injured at the time, but was also telling us mm. what a fantastic player he was. But um, be interesting to see if um, if Saul gets a go if Kante's still injured tomorrow, mm. um, um, just because he was. Uh, he was much, much better. And I said on the fan bike, bizarrely, he, it's exactly the way that George Graham played. I know we're, we're in a different, completely different... Is he different a stroller? Era. Indeed, he is a stroller. That's exactly what he was. But it's this ability to... Uh, Graham was the same. Fantastic header of the wall. Fantastic shot. I mean, as he proved when he played for Arsenal in the double-winning double side of 70-71. But also that ability to just ease past people. And I felt we got more of a view of the proper player against Southampton. And I thought the Saints were pretty good. I thought they uh, they attacked a lot. They were very inventive. And it was, it pinged around all the time. It's like, you know, pinball game. It was, um, it was a very entertaining game, actually. Um, but um, I, I remember uh, on Monday, I said it was likely to be 1-1 and penalties. But my the optimi optimist in me said 2-0. But it became very apparent that that was what's going to be the state of play. I thought it was uh, that they were that they would probably score. It was unfortunate they went through Kepper's legs because everybody around me was going, oh, it's Kepper again. And I, I thought he then in the last five minutes performed wonderfully um, with some brilliant saves. So, yeah, he stood out in the last few minutes, but he made a glaring error. Um uh, I'm trying to think who else you asked me that question. Havertz had a pretty good game, I thought. You know, I, he, he's, nearly, he's very. He scored a superb goal. Absolutely, he? absolutely. Very happy in that position. Mm -hmm. Really is happy. He doesn't have to play second fiddle to anybody. And it's it's going to be difficult when um, when when Lukaku's fit again as to how they they change it. But it gives an option to make you realise for me that that uh, you know that, that you don't need. He is the other centre forward you don't need to buy anybody else he's easier man yeah it's kind of what we've been saying Alex yeah. I mean kind of same question to you really I mean who caught your eye in particular on Tuesday night um, I echo is are we saying Saul now I echo him because I saw oh, I'm, him I'm, I'm Ponzi darling I say Saul you know so okay well I'm just gonna I'm gonna Ponce along with you Thank uh you. yeah him I thought was I sitting with you when we first watched him play and for the yeah. first three touches we were like oh he's shiny yeah. And then it was like, oh, no, no, what is he doing? No. Um, so I was a little bit panicky when I saw him on the team sheet. I just thought, I thought overall, it was a very good demonstration of how much depth we have to our squad because I let we haven't talked about Southampton. And I thought having been smashed about a bit in the first half, they definitely changed something at half time or whatever it was, it worked. Uh, and I thought they were much better in the second half. From from the second the whistle went, they were better. Um, and I think in years gone past, that would have done for us. But the fact that we were able to sort of not roll over with such a cobbled together side and get past another Premier League team who did not play badly, I, I think that was a good reflection. I just not every game is going to be sexy Champions League winning football and... Carabao Cup is probably where you're going to see that. 
yeah. we just, we're just try and get through it yeah. and not really cry if we don't yeah i definitely agree with that i mean adam alex makes a, a really interesting point there and i and i would have thought perhaps one of the takeaways uh for too cool and 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 i think we're all beginning to realize that actually he's very good at improving players but given that we've got through again that means we're going to have another game i think it's the week before christmas isn't it 21st 22nd mm. we know that we've got a lot of games in december anyway we've got the world uh, world club cup or club world cup competition coming up sometime in the new year um it kind of begs the question doesn't it that do we have a good enough straight big enough squad to cope and maybe we're getting some answers with matches like the carabao cup match on tuesday yeah definitely um i'm just going to throw in i thought trevor chalaber was very very good once again uh, oh, yeah, yeah, in, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in the middle of the back three middle, uh yeah. this time um yeah, look, the squad's going to be hugely tested in that run. I think it is 10 matches between December 1st and January the 2nd. Um, and obviously you've got the Christmas games as well within that. And, and Tuchel is going to have to lean on a lot of different players. Obviously, the injury situation at the moment, you'd hope, isn't the same as it is then because then Chelsea are going to have problems because, uh, yeah, there's just been a few that have cropped up in the last couple of weeks, um, which hasn't really been an issue for probably most of this year. Um so it will be a big test. I think the squad is big enough if everyone's fit. I think the quality is is there. I think there's a lot of adaptability and a lot of players, as, as you know, we said a minute ago with Hudson Odoi being able to fill in in different positions. Um, and obviously we've got Ruben now as the six, uh, but he can play higher up if needed. So I do think the squad is good enough, and I think it's deep enough to to get through that December run. Um, January might be a bit difficult with the Club World Cup and then Mendy away at Afcon, and and then you might have a bit more of a problem, but. Uh, as for December, I think they can handle it. I think on that point, Adam, and sorry, Alex, I know you wanted to come in quickly, didn't you? Do you want to come in? Yeah, literally just to add, the reason it's working, 17 different goal scorers. Mm, that's a very so, good point. Yeah, they're managing to get through the actual playing of the football, but they're managing, all of them are managing to snatch a goal when we need it. Yeah. Which uh, we would have killed for in years gone by, I think. Well, I think, I mean, it was funny, wasn't it? We're going to get onto the press conference in a minute and uh, Tuchel joked about, um, on because on, he was asked that, and uh, he joked about not wanting to have Jorginho being the top scorer again, which I think we would all... Heartily agree with. Going, going back to what you were saying, Adam, you mentioned the AFCON Cup there, and of course we're going to lose Mendy. It was really good to see Kepper, I think, looking very good, actually, on Tuesday night. I mean, I, the, the goal notwithstanding, but I mean, we all know that he's a real supreme penalty saver. He's, I think he's now got the record for saves in penalty shootouts for Chelsea, but he made some brilliant saves in the last few minutes, which, you know, kept us in the game. I and mean, that I can't remember who 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 shot it or headed it, but he just tipped it over the bar. He's looking back to a decent keeper again, and we're going to need him in January, so I'm pleased to see that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good sort of rebuilding job Tuchel has done of, of Kepa's confidence over the last few months. And Could he have done better for the goal? Yes, I do think he could have, um, but he more than made up for it for this with the saves he made. And then you get to penalties, and it's kind of his domain now. I think he feels very confident in that environment, and and believes in himself and and look the stats back it up as you, as you just said I think it's eight penalty saves in uh, shootouts for Chelsea and, and that's the most of any goalkeeper the club have ever had and he will be needed in January. Um, I look, the harsh reality of it is look, he's never going to be a seventy one million pound goalkeeper. Uh, Chelsea will never get back what they paid for Kepa. They will have to take a big hit on him when the time comes, but. They will need him uh, for that month, especially. And the fact that he can be trusted and it doesn't feel 
like a big issue now when he's in the starting 11 is important because I think there was a point, you know, last year, whenever he was uh, in the team, you, you kind of felt nervous and, uh, and as if the, uh, the opposition were going to, we're going to score eventually. So, um, so yeah, so Tuchel's done a great job just building him back up and credit to Kepa too. Have you noticed that whenever in the penalties, he always wanders halfway up towards the penalty spot and the referee has words with him and tells him to go back on the line. This is a kind of, whether this is a psychological thing, he gets near the player. Um, but that happened, he got threatened by uh, one of the others over the last few weeks. can't remember who it was, but um, but it was the same thing because he he's he's slow at getting into position. And I think he then gets, gets threatened with a yellow card. Uh, apparently they have to get back there much more quickly, I think, just to be prepared. But he does this psychological thing of just, just standing nearer the player than he should. Just I was intrigued by that. So clearly, you know, whether it works works for him anyway, this is because he takes his time to get back onto the line. So I, I would love to see him do a grobbler with the bendy legs in a penalty shootout. That that'd be that'd be a wonderful little bit of history repeating. Alex. I just think he looks like a more mature person as well. The sulky bitch Courtois-esque Kepa when things weren't going his way and when people were on his back. He comes onto the pitch, not often, but when he does, with his head up, looking confident, not looking rusty and like he's had three weeks off, and he does his job. And I just think there's a level of maturity there that really wasn't there when he started, like, deleting the fact that he played for Chelsea off of his social media profile and stuff like that. Um, I, and obviously, the my favourite Kepler moment ever, the refusing to be substituted. I, I think he's grown as a person as well, and I, that's probably too sure as well, because management is his thing, isn't it? Absolutely agree, Alex. I think it's another, you know, more testament to the supreme uh, man management skills of Thomas Tuchel. Um, the interesting thing about the next round, I mean, we know we won't find out who we're playing until half past ten tomorrow bizarrely on Soccer AM. Who still watches Soccer AM? I didn't think anybody watched it anymore. It's gone absolutely down the old toilet. But anyway, um, that's where the draw is for some bizarre reason. Um, but the interesting thing is that there are five London clubs in the quarterfinals. Uh, us, Spurs, West Ham, Arsenal and Brentford, which I think is the first time that that's ever happened. So I'm going to ask JK to validate that or verify that because he's been around longer than us. Can you ever remember five London clubs in the quarterfinals of the League Cup, JK. It's not something I've ever had a great deal of interest in, Chich, I'll be frank. Uh, um, um, uh, the answer would just be no. I have no recollection whatsoever. Okay. But that's that's through ignorance, not through um, uh, a lack of memory. I'll believe you. Uh, you have always have the last word on that. Now, as you know, obviously we're playing Newcastle tomorrow. Uh, up in Geordie land, the Geordie nation. Um, I think, I'm not sure you, you you couldn't have physically been at the presser. Was Sam covering the presser today or was it you, Adam? No, Sam was covering it. I was, I watched it on the, well, as, as best I could on the train up here. Yeah, that would have been hard. Um, so, I mean, the first thing that uh, we learned of uh, was that, as expected, Lukaku and Werner are both injured and therefore out, that Pulisic is training again but it would be too early for him against Newcastle he's more likely to come back against Burnley which given he scored a hat-trick against them a season or two ago I think is quite fun and the the inference was that Kante, Aspie and Loftus-Cheek and Christensen are kind of okay I mean he said basically everybody else is fit so therefore one is presuming that their injuries have died down but I mean do you know anything that we don't know? I mean, he said everybody was fit and then remembered that Kovacic well, wasn't. Of, of, um, yeah, there, that was bizarre, wasn't it? 
Um, yeah, which was it was uh, it was lucky that he was asked about him um, because he did evidently completely forget about the fact that that Chelsea's key midfielder this season is going to be out for a few weeks. Um, so from from what I was told yesterday, as P Christensen um, and Kante all trained, uh, and Ruben did work on his own. Uh, today, Ruben was back with the squad, um, so you'd assume they're all fine. Obviously, losing Kovacic is a, is a blow because he has been very good this season, but I imagine we'll probably see Kante and Jorginho start tomorrow with Ruben and Saul as, as alternatives off the bench. Um, but, you know, to lose Kovacic is disappointing yeah. uh, because he's probably is playing his best football, I think, since he's been here. Um, as I will get in a plug for a piece, uh, which I know JK loves uh, on Football London, uh, I wrote earlier in the week just about how he's having so much more influence in the final third this season than ever before. Um, and I don't think it's anything dramatically different that he's doing. I just think Tuchel has uh, created a system again, much like with the other players, that does allow him to to have a greater a greater impact in the final third. So, yeah, big a uh, loss for him. Uh, but yeah, Kante's back, so I imagine he'll start with Jorginho, and and we'll probably see Patsudoi. Habits and Mount as a front three again. I wouldn't be surprised to see that. And again, you know, it's big ups to Tommy Tuchel again because I think you know what we're finding is that these these players doesn't matter how good they are and experienced they are, they are being coached and they are being coached to improve elements of their game. And I mean, one of the things, and you're right, Adam. I know you can't say it because you're far too nice and humble, but your article was brilliant. Uh, even though I'm not a massive stats fan, as you know, but I think what really really resonated with me was you know we've seen we we've and moaned in fact about Kovacic being on the one hand brilliant at bringing the ball out of defense stroke midfield you know he kind of runs runs up the pitch uh, you know beats a few people looks really good doesn't get tackled but his final ball can often be what Tony Glover would describe as arse gravy so you were I, critical of him Chidge, the other day weren't you well I was I thought against Brentford he was shocking frankly he was giving the ball away all the time and his final ball was terrible but I think what Tuchel was saying was that actually he's saying release the ball earlier and actually that's helpful for us because you know we need to get the attacking players into the game quicker and I like that and we look more dangerous as a result so I think your article and and Tommy Tuchel's management of coverage is, is brilliant um he was obviously asked about the uh, the title challenge, as in inevitably he would. Um, I, I sometimes think, you know, and this is no criticism of you because you generally ask quite decent questions in there, but I do I do wonder about... I mean, we've had this out before on this show, haven't we, Adam, about the paucity of intelligent questions from some of the journalists. you know. And I have to say, my, my hat goes off to Tuchel for keeping a straight face when he's being asked these. But I did think I liked the way he played with the straight bat again and, and reminded everybody that... Actually, the name of the game this season is to is to get closer to Liverpool and Man City because everybody seems to conveniently forget because we won the European Cup that we did finish about 15 points, I think it was, wasn't it, behind City who won it last year. So it's kind of good to hear his level-headedness there, I think, isn't it? Yeah, and I think you know what he's saying is we need to close the gap to Liverpool and, and Man City. And, and look, if Chelsea do that this season, then they'll, they'll probably be near the top, if not top anyway. So... Um, he's never tried to downplay what this Chelsea team can achieve, but he's also been very honest in that, you know, we haven't won the league since was it 2017. So there is work to be done and Chelsea shouldn't come into this season as, as favourites. And a lot of people or a lot of pundits were trying to build Chelsea up as favourites, which Tuchel again didn't necessarily re- agree with in his press conferences. Um, 
so yeah, I think he's managing expectation well. I, I think within the club, I think you know he knows what this squad is capable of, and and he knows they can win the Premier League. But he's also realistic enough to to know that yeah, Liverpool, and Man City are the benchmark, as he said many times, and and that's what Chelsea have to aim to do. They have to aim to get ninety plus points, and then if they can do that, then there's a good chance they uh they can win the title and. Yeah, I, I think he, he knows what he's doing. He's not going to come out and say, yes, we can win the title, especially not after nine games, because what's the point? All you're doing is setting yourself up for a fall at that point. Well, indeed, which is probably, what I think, why the questions are asked, if I if uh, if I know the media and my experience in it, as opposed to of it. Um, one, one thing that I was very intrigued about, actually, was um, the discussion about the defence. Um, I mean, what did you think about that? I mean, obviously, we, we all know that it's been the foundation of what we do but I thought the way he talked about that was really interesting yeah I thought the the sort of most telling point is and uh, look Tuchel said before is he's not a defensive coach he doesn't spend hours on the training pitch devising uh defensive drills and and putting the players through it time and time again he focuses 90 percent. I think it was he says I focus 90 percent of my time on on the attacking side and then coming up with attacking solutions however Obviously, the fence has been very, very good. Um, but it was intriguing for him to say that Edu, well, Edu Mendy and Kepa have done a lot more work than he would like this uh, this season, and that is that is true. Obviously, in his first six months, uh, six months, five months last season, Chelsea's goalkeeper was so protected um, by the defense; they were very, very rarely tested. This season has been very different, and you have had Mendy, especially have to produce very, very big performances um, in the 3-1 win against Aston Villa at home. Mendy was was key in that first half, made several good stops. Obviously, against Brentford as well, he was absolutely um, outstanding, just some of the, the saves he was producing. So Chelsea's defence isn't as resolute as it was last season under Tuchel. It can get back to that, obviously. But um, but I think the fact that you now have a, a genuinely world-class goalkeeper in Eddie Mendy um, has probably been the difference for Chelsea this season because conceded three goals two of them have been penalties but I think something the expected goals against is something like eight eight point something um so far so um so yeah there's work to actually to be done on that side of it for Chelsea but um when you've got Mendy in the form he's in it is uh it is quite a good uh safeguard I mean here's, here's a follow-up question on that um Adam because I read um I think it must have been in it was either the um the the, the flash uh flash score previews which I always nick uh, for these shows, but actually, I think it was uh, it was from uh, from Rick's um, pre-match briefing thing. I don't know if you you've, you've seen this, but this is really interesting, and I wonder if maybe the the increasing pressure or the the, the increasing need for Mendy to be in the game might be as a result of this, because it does tend to be, doesn't it? Chelsea boasts the highest rate of shots on target at fifty-seven point three percent. Last season, ten point four percent of shots became goals or the 14th best in the top flight. So far this campaign, the rate has shot up to 18.3%, the best in the division. And it does often happen, doesn't it, that when you try and be more attack-minded, you're going to leave more opportunities for the other side to attack you. Do you think that might be what's going on? Um, a little bit, a little bit. I think the fact that N'Golo Kante hasn't played too much this season is obviously a massive part of it, just because we know how um, astounding he is at just stopping its opposition attacks. Um Probably the same for, for Jorginho. We haven't really seen the Kante Jorginho double six much, if at all, this season. I, I can't just off the top of my head. I can't recall if they've started a game. Maybe Liverpool away was the only one they've started together um, as, as a two. 
Um, so I think that's probably got a lot to do with it. Um, and look, there's there's also been a lot of chuffing and changing in that back line um, this season because, you know, last season under Saka was pretty much as P. Well, it ended up being Christensen because of Silva's injury and uh, and Rudiger pretty much every game. And there has been a lot more chopping and changing. Um, I don't honestly, I'm not. I don't feel that Chelsea have, have gained a massive amount attacking wise this season. I think last season under Tuchel they were far more attack minded than people wanted to give them credit for. It's just that they wouldn't take any of the bloody chances that they created. Whereas this season they are doing that a lot more. Um, and if that has maybe constituted uh, a little bit more of a, of a lax approach to defending, um, then so be it because it is working. Is, is, is he getting more people up the pitch, though, do you think? I think he said he was getting more people in the box. Hasn't that been happening this season? I, 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 I don't know. I, honestly, maybe because you've got Lukaku when he's been fit as that fixed reference as typical loves, maybe that does give that impression. But if you look at the average position maps of Chelsea last season and this season, it's similar. It's, it's very similar. Like they they keep they have the back three and, and the double six as, as sort of cover when they um, do uh, not have the ball, um, and then they have sort of essentially a front five with the two wing backs really high up, and then the front three, and and that's kind of the structure that's been kept both both last season and this season under Tuchel. So I've, I was intrigued to see Saints try the um, the Brentford uh, long throw. Um, with the same approach, which is the, the ball isn't headed anywhere but straight up in the air again, who by the, the target man. So it's not really a long throw at all. It's just to the edge of the penalty area. And it's then headed again, if possible, by the the uh, attacking side. And then they rely on the second ball to drop down so they can then have a, a shot from anywhere. But it occurs to me that perhaps we should attempt that as well because it seems to be a, it's catching on. And uh, Brentford was so fantastic at it the other day that I thought, well, you wonder whether they're, Chelsea are actually going to get a um, uh, a throw-in coach. Well, perhaps one of the others can do it easily. I think one of the things we, we're avoiding, though, is mentioning when we're saying Thomas Tuchel is a, is a wonderful coach. I think he's got a fantastic team with him as well. So I think um, it's the people working with Kepper as well. It's not just um, Tuchel somehow giving giving him the opportunities. But I think it's... It's uh, they're all very high class. I think we should be very aware of that. They're all on the same same um, hymn sheet, as it were. Hilario is Chelsea's goalkeeping coach. Yeah, and everyone was giving him loads of grief. Uh, well, everyone, a lot of people giving him grief on uh, the social media uh, when Kepa's form was actually in the toilet. Um, but nobody wants to talk about him now. So yeah. funny that. But there will be others as well, won't there? It won't just be Hilario. There'll be others. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, it took all... Behaving like on social media. I, I refuse to believe it. I thought it was uh, it was interesting that in his programme notes, Tuchel uh, gave a nod to Anthony Barry, who mm. was obviously brought in by Frank uh, in the summer of 2020. And if you watch any Chelsea game, or, well, watch the dugout, um, you'll see that whenever Chelsea... You have, or have a set piece either attacking or defending yeah. you'll see Tuchel sit down and Anthony Barry will, will basically yeah. jump up and, and be on the touchline and basically give he the instructions just, he gesticulates madly Barry doesn't he actually mm. well the way I've seen Tuchel gesticulate madly in, the, in practically every game nowadays he seems to be going slightly mad he's got madder and madder but, um, but Barry has allowed his moment of, uh, of ranting as well well yeah. it, it works I mean that, that uh, Havertz goal was a great set piece I thought all round, great delivery, great movement in the box, and a beautifully executed header because he just guided it in. It was, I thought, a brilliant goal actually. Um, Adam, while we've got you here, I, I want to kind of finish up on this part really um, to see what you know uh, about the following, which is 
been a lot of talk about this all week uh, obviously you know both in football.london and and you know social media et al uh, and that's the rudiger and christensen contract issues which uh, don't seem to be getting uh, any closer to resolution do they i think the christensen deal is a lot 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 closer than the rudiger one at the moment um yes uh christensen and and representatives and Chelsea may not have spoken for a while but I think the deal is close to be done there uh, to be honest and I'm not hugely concerned about the reports this week um, just about the, the delay in that Christensen wants to stay, Chelsea want to keep him it seems a relatively easy one to sort out um, Rudig is far more complex obviously he's he's that bit older than Christensen he's, he's going to get his final big contract of his career uh, the next one he signs so he does have more to consider Um he does seemingly have a lot more uh, interest as well from, you know, PSG, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. These clubs have been linked. Liverpool and Man City were also linked this week, but I do not understand why uh, they would be remotely interested, to be honest. I don't really think, think it fits Liverpool's model to be signing a what would be a 29-year-old centre-back on big money. I don't, don't see it at all. And Man City have uh, four very capable centre-backs who are all younger as well. So, um yeah, I didn't didn't see Man City and Liverpool, but I think the problem with Rudiger and, and Chelsea is there's a very big difference in in opinion on, on how much he should be paid at the moment. And from Chelsea's point of view, I completely understand why. Look, Rudiger's had a fantastic 2021 in the back three, but Chelsea are not a club that you can say in two years' time they'll still be playing in the back three under Thomas Tuchel. You can't guarantee that with Chelsea at all. And look, his, his work in the back four has been okay. It's not worth breaking your bank for um so i'm sure that's on chelsea's mind and look for rudiger's position as i said he's in the form of his life why not try and capitalize it and, and get your big contract before before you come to the end of your career so can understand both sides of that completely and, and i think that's why there's such an impasse on it at the moment i mean my, my view on that adam for what it's worth is that as, and, and i mean you know really one just needs to to look with your eyes uh at what chelsea are about and Chelsea for quite a few, well, I mean, frankly, since uh, Marina Granovskaya uh, took the reins of power, they are not a club to be stiffed by anybody anymore. And she won't be hardballed into into signing a contract, uh, paying Rudiger way over the odds. So I don't think they're going to move on it. I really don't. And if they do, not by much, certainly not what he's wanting. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think Chelsea aren't gonna aren't gonna be held to ransom essentially. And you look across Europe, there are a lot of examples of of players who uh, at sort of quote unquote super clubs who got a big contract, then for X, Y, and Z reasons, circumstances changed at the club, and that club then are stuck with these players. You know, there's Gareth Bale, there's Coutinho. These guys are on big money at these clubs, and these are uh, you know good players. But there's no club who wants to touch them or take them off the off Real Madrid and Barcelona's hands because of the wages, and that's a position Chelsea don't want to be in two years down the line or eighteen months down the line with Rudiger, where he's on a big contract and nobody's gonna gonna take him off Chelsea's hands even if he's not playing. So, yeah, Marina Granovskaya. Um, say so anyone I've spoken to in the past who's had any dealings with her have said the same thing. She's an incredibly impressive woman, incredibly hard-nosed businesswoman who will always do her best by the club first and what she thinks is best by the club uh, as a business and, and as, as a football club. So, yeah, I, I don't see Chelsea dramatically shifting their position, to be honest. Mm, indeed. Well, very interesting stuff. Obviously, we'll be watching 
that space and uh, no doubt watching London for all the news. You seem to be very on top of that, actually, at the moment, Adam, which is always interesting to read. So thank you for informing us on it right now. Um, mate, as always, lovely to see you and enjoy your uh, day tomorrow. You'll be covering the game for us all, won't you, up in uh, St. James's Park? Looking forward to it? Yes, I will do. Yeah, yes. Yeah, this is only my second time coming up here for, for a game. Um first was in like 2015 which was with Watford when I was covering them so um so yeah no looking forward to it yeah and uh, at least you don't have to walk up all of those steps to go into the away end you'll have the nice comfort (laughs) of the press box yes it's in a good position but apparently if it's raining I would get wet so hoping hoping I'm not gonna I would be more worried about it snowing up there mate let alone raining (laughs) but there you go it is bloody cold up here already yep it is that's why they all wander around with knee shirts on and that's just the girls you know Anyway, have a good night. Uh, I know you're in Sunderland, not Newcastle, which is uh, not. I don't. Quite, I don't think it's quite as entertaining as Newcastle, but I'm sure you'll have a nice uh, meal out with your mate. Uh, lovely to see you as always. We'll see you very soon, I hope. And uh, until then, thank you as ever so much. No worries, guys. Everybody, take care. Well done. Bye bye, bye, Adam. Brilliant. Bye. Brilliant stuff there uh, from the lovely Adam uh, Newson from Football London. Uh, now, uh, we're, well, there's no Oppo view this week. We couldn't. We couldn't find a Geordie to speak to so uh, it's just a two-parter tonight so when we come back from the break we're going to be uh, talking about our preview of the Newcastle Chelsea game do not go anywhere we will be back soon real fans real opinions I'm Jason Cundy and you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chels. Footballfancast.com Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I am, of course, uh, Stanford Chidge, and uh, we're halfway through the Chelsea Fancast preview show. And uh, I have with me, as ever, the lovely Jonathan Kidd. I'd love it to be on the show, Chidge, with the fantastically lovely uh, Alex Churchill, of course. Who we have missed tremendously, Alex. It is honestly, it's so lovely to see your little face peering down the old Zoom on a Chelsea fan cast tonight. Oh, you know who you haven't seen? Bertie. Hello, Bertie. He's having a wash, bless him. He's washing his paws, yes. At least he's washed his front end for you. Tonight. Well, I know. It's, uh, quite, I'm quite glad of that, to be honest. My so, mother used to call it playing the banjo. <laughs> I cannot think for the life of me why, but never mind. Have you seen that pumpkin? That I got it from Clive O'Connell. It's fantastic. I'm going to oh, send you the evil pumpkin. Okay, Speak I love the it. Wrong end, so that you can have a look. I, l- I look forward to that. Uh, I think I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, uh, the reason we're, uh, you know, I mean, as I said, you know, before the break. So, oh, actually, there was something I've got to tell you, haven't I, before we get into that. But uh, no opposition view this week, uh, which is a bit of a shame. But sometimes, you know, I, I did try two very lovely uh, Geordies, but I couldn't, I, they couldn't do it for various reasons, which is a great shame, but never mind. Um, but before we get into all of that, of course, it's the uh, the weekly announcement of the next football prizes competition. Uh, and this week's at football underscore prizes competition, that's their Twitter handle, is the chance to win a signed and framed John Terry Chelsea T-shirt. Ooh. And I actually have seen it. It's, it, it, it. It kind of looks like a Chelsea. It's not a Chelsea shirt. It's like a blue T-shirt with 26 on the back and he signed the, the white 26 bit. 
but it's framed beautifully there's some lovely pictures of jt holding up various trophies and things so it's a nice it's it's presented beautifully what can i say anyway uh the tickets are four pounds 95 each and the draw ends this wednesday the 3rd of november uh to enter you need to go to footballprizes.co.uk forward slash product forward slash john hyphen terry hyphen frame hyphen two uh so there we go so i will put this up on twitter sometime tonight and pin it there so you'll know where to where to find it but uh, as always you need to hurry up with these things because the tickets do do go quickly there are 99 tickets available as there normally always are so get on it quick and don't miss out and you'll have a chance to win uh this lovely 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 uh prize in their competition and um what was it going to say um I can't remember, so I'm going to not say it, basically. But anyway, get on it. Get on it, people. You know it makes sense. Right. Um, yeah, Newcastle versus Chelsea tomorrow. And as always, we like to start with our our possible team selection, JK, don't we? Uh, which we nearly always get wrong. It, I guess it's becoming sort of tricky, isn't it, Chidge, to actually ever get it right? So but That's the fun of it. It is great fun. Well, I hope we can, as I said, implement this on the... Um, on the fan cast on a Monday just to see if anybody gets near it and then they can be congratulated because um, uh, we, we didn't have the piece of information that all of those players were injured against uh, Saints, so we slotted them in. Um, uh, are we aware that Sil- uh, that Thiago Silva is uh, is available or would he because well, we prophesied that he wouldn't be playing during the week, didn't well, we? Well, my, my feeling is, but he didn't play, did he, against Southampton? No, of course he didn't. I'm talking rubbish. Yes, of course he didn't, yeah. But uh, my, but this is my feeling. I mean, obviously Mendy comes back in because he's a brilliant goalkeeper. And uh, in view of the people that didn't play, I've gone for Rudiger and Silva. And earlier on, I I, I put Christensen in on the right. But I kind of changed my mind at the last minute and basically kept Christensen and Aspie out of the side. Why? The, because I think... You know, Aspie's got a, just got over a shoulder injury and Christensen's got over a, a tooth injury. So I've put Chaloba in as the right centre-back, not Christensen. But I think I think Christensen could quite easily play there instead, all right? Yeah, so I'm, I agree. Because I'm, I'm, yeah. you, you can't do an either-or on the foot, on the line-up 11 thing. So you have to... No, no, we have to, we have to make that, that point. Yeah. In the, you can't do an either-or because otherwise we'd be doing... Um, 22 either or well quite quite possibly wouldn't we uh chilwell picks himself a brilliant form at the moment i know do... Al- alonso apparently according to stats they were not madly keen on stats is still one of the best um uh left backs in in the premier league at the moment on on his, on his previous uh, previous performances you know i've got no problem with alonso i'm not i'm not in the los barnes camp here uh but uh anyway chilwell none of, us, none of us have i'm just pointing out that chilwell is a is is all round Mate, for he me. Scored four goals in four four games. I mean, and a, and a better player. He's a better defender, and he's more he's sharper to me than uh, than Alonso. Though Alonso's had um, a brilliant first few games of the season, and his the his hair is the best of any well, player. Well, yes, in the- you know, his hair his hair does take the biscuit. Uh, Chilwell then as our left wing back. I think we will see Jorginho and Conde reunited, uh, particularly so now Kovacic is uh, not fit. Um, I would be very surprised to see anybody else in there, even though the options are Ruben Loftus-Cheek or Saul. Uh, but I think given Loftus-Cheek had an issue with his hip earlier in the week, I think that will exclude him from starting the match, that's for sure. So Jorginho and Kante in the midfield. Uh, James on the, uh, on the the as the right wing back. But again, as I said, you could quite easily see Aspie there if, uh, if, if, uh, if he deems him fit enough. 
because he does like to pick Christensen and Aspie if they're fit. So, you know, as I said, you could sub Chaloba for Christensen and James for Aspie quite easily. Although I think James had such a good game for the last two games, it'd be really harsh to leave him out. And then I His think nerve is so wonderful for pen- the penalties, isn't it? My goodness me, as the finisher. Brilliant. Do you know, I mean, I'm sure I said it on uh, last week, and if I didn't, I said it to some mates. I have to be honest, mate, Reese James is fast becoming my favourite Chelsea player. I am just falling in love with this kid. He's just brilliant. The skill he has, the com- uh, the composure and the, the the temperament that he has. He's an absolute he's unit. Being as well. Sorry, Alex, what was that? He's a human being as well. Yeah, he, he's a lovely bloke. You know, he's a unit. I, I just think I'm loving this kid. I just absolutely adore him. I think he's brilliant. So there you go. There we go. My little eulogy to, to Reese James. But uh, I think the front three picks themselves, really, doesn't it? I mean, I think Hudson-Odoi deserves to be on the left again. Um, I, I think Mount will, will absolutely come back in. And uh, the only striker that we have fit at the moment is Havertz. Um, we know that Pulisic won't be back until Burnley. And uh, and I think Ziyech, well, what can one say about Ziyech? Underperforming. Mm, sulking, apparently. I didn't see it myself. But was he sulking against Saints? I didn't get that. He just wasn't very good. Didn't... Yeah, he just had a crap game, didn't he? Mm. I didn't see any overt sulkiness. I just saw not a particularly impressive outing. Mm. All right, so there we go. Frankly, I think that front three picks itself. So what, what do you have to say about that, Alex? Uh, I agree. Um, I would go. I'm. I'm just gonna. I did got no notice for doing this because I've stepped in for Bain. So I'm gonna go. Mendy at the back. I will take Chalobah, um, and Rudiger, and I agree with you about uh, Reese James. It would be really harsh if he didn't get picked. Where else do I need to put someone? Uh, obviously, I don't think Kante's around, is he? Well, no, can Kante, he's, he's 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 fit, he's back. I don't think he'll start though. I think I'd, what's he usually do if Kante's not been playing is bring him on after an hour. I think he'll do that. Well, I I think you know. Oh no, he doesn't have Kovacic, does he? Exactly. All right, yeah. Kante, he might start. He could start with Cheek though, couldn't he? Yeah, no, I don't think he will. I think he'll put he'll start with Kante and he'll take him off after an hour and put Cheek on. Yeah, I, I think I think I think that's more likely. I do think that's more likely. Well, as always, we'll see tomorrow. No doubt, J.K. Tommy T will have a a curveball for us, won't he? That we haven't predicted. Um, but I think he'll play. I think he'll play Christensen actually. But I think he might not play Silver. You never know. Yes, indeed. Who knows, Chidge? Blimey, we're making this speculation again. What, I mean, nearly, it's nearly always one player that we just don't get. Well, we you when, when you see them play, you get it. But I mean, I was intrigued. Like to see, the mess with us. Yeah, he does. He's fucking with my mind, man. Um, <laughs> he put some because uh, Chilwell, I've Chilwell on occasions during the Southampton game was playing midfield. Did you notice that he was going into the middle? Mm. Playing there, I was I was bemused. Well, he, by he put him on as right wing back, which was interesting in itself. But uh, the thing is, I mean, what I would say is that you know, I mean, Thomas Tuchel, I think, has grasped the nettle here. That you know, we are we are in a player management, game management situation. He's got to manage this squad, and because we've got an awful lot of games potentially this season, and you know, I think it's been been really interesting seeing what he does here, trying to. You know, make sure he gets the best out of them, and also makes sure that they he doesn't kill them. You know, because the other thing about Chelsea under under Tuchel, he's all about this intensity, isn't he? And being on it from minute one. And uh, if you think about uh, Liverpool, 
not that we would want to think about Liverpool at any time of day, really. But, you know, what, what Klopp did to them is he kills them by March, which is why they, you know, found it really hard to, to, to win the title because they were all too knackered because of their Gagan press. And I think Tuchel's kind of mindful of managing his players and their fitness carefully uh, so that they don't get knackered. Although I have to say, that's all very fine and well until you get a whole spate of injuries and then you're stuffed, aren't you? Because you've just got to play who's fit, JK. Yeah, very much so. And yet, um, I don't think that Werner and uh, um, and Lukaku have been the worst things that could have happened. I think having uh, the midfield injured would be... Well, but yeah, that's why that's why they've got the d- the depth in the squad. It'd be interesting to see if if uh, Jorginho, because Kovacic is injured, if Jorginho gets injured, would Saul then um, play the proper role? And I think he'd he on his on, on his performance during the week. I think he'd step up actually. Mm. So we'll see. But I, I I think you'll give Christensen a go. But but we're now in a position where Chalabar was so good, is so good that you think well we've got four really good alternatives, and that's without even Aspie being considered. Yeah. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, you know, one thing that I've noticed and probably read somewhere of the truth or to be told, uh, but I think is very, very interesting. And I think this this definitely plays into, um, you know, I mean, I, I, we, we went on about it on Monday, didn't we, about the, the I, I was convinced that we were getting more joy from wide areas. OK, a lot of that had to do with the fact that Norwich couldn't defend for their life or if their life depended on it. But uh, one thing that's been noticed is the way that he's using the wing backs, and they're, they're, uh, and you, you noticed it about Chilwell uh, against Saints. But they do tend to be moving inside and centrally a lot, and of course the reason for that is that it makes them much harder to pick up a mark because of course the best way to to stop your wing backs offensively is to just you know counter that with your own wing backs and stop them getting forward. But of course, if they keep moving centrally and everybody's swapping around, they're much harder to pick up. And he's doing that a lot more this season, Alex. I don't know if you've noticed that. Sorry, I missed that completely. Am I that boring? No, I just had another. I'll explain later. Okay. Hit me again. Hit me again. Okay. Well, I was just saying that basically uh, the easiest way to stop wing backs is to put, you know, to play with wing backs yourself and to stick them yes. on there to stop them getting forward. And what he's been doing recently, you know, we've noticed that the wing backs are moving inside a lot more and that makes them harder to pick up. And I'm just wondering if that's helping us offensively. I think it is. And do you know what I really like is that, so we saw this with when we had Conte and he came in and he blew everybody away with his three at the back and everything. And then people wrapped their heads around it and they started to tweak their systems to combat it. And Conte didn't really have anything else. Tuchel always seems to have something else. And I think you're talking about one of the adjustments he's made. And that's what I really like about him. I think that he doesn't stop thinking. He's not, he doesn't get stale. And I think that was like, we had that, not what was it, 13 games under Conte without losing? I can't remember if it was 13 wins or 13 without defeat. Um, and then people were like, oh, actually, but if we do this, this and this, we can take this on. And they've tried doing that with Tuchel. And the adjustment you're talking about is one of the things I think he's done, I agree with you, to combat that. And I just think that's what makes him a step above those managers, like Mourinho as well, because Mourinho has no plan B, does he? And that's proved to be his undoing. Totally agree with that. JK, anything to say on that, old Bean? Uh, I think Alex was fantastic. There we go. Uh, Right, um, next thing I want to talk about is, uh, you know... The, well, is it a myth or not, really? The Tyneside myth part one, which is uh, our record up there 
Uh, and I mean, the gut feel, the gut feel is, yeah, mate, yeah, we quite often lose up there. But I think if you delve into this a little bit more, I don't think it's quite as clear cut as as one might like to believe. Because I, I certainly remember a few times when we've gone up there in the at the end of the season and it's been irrelevant and we've got a tonking. Um, you know, Rick in his uh, in his wonderful, wonderful pre... I don't know. I mean, if you lot are out there, if you read one thing on the Chelsea website, it's Rick Glanville, Paul Dutton's um, pre-match briefing. It's brilliantly written and it's full of real nuggets. And one of them is uh, uh, the fact that... Uh, uh, here we go. In December 2014... Uh, the Magpies ended Chelsea's 265-day unbeaten run in the league despite being reduced to 10 men. Last season's victory, as in when we beat them 2-0, was one of only five for the uh, for the Blues in the past 17 Tyneside trips. So that would uh, indicate that they are a bit of a bogey side away. And I thought, no, 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 not recently, surely, because we won last, last season. We won, uh, but but actually, the reality is that Rick's got it spot on. We lost one nil up there uh, the season before, so that was in January 2020. The last minute goal wasn't that it? was the last minute goal, absolutely. Um, we beat them the season before that two one. The season before that, we lost three nil. I mean, basically, we've lost one, two, three, four times up there since 2013. So actually, you know, it is a bit of a tricky old. Uh, place for us to go jk and i was going to sit here and argue that it wasn't but actually the the stats bear it out um i wonder whether the crowd has an attitude of disliking us because we're um, flash cockney bastards funnily what you've just said exactly you beat me to it exactly we're flash cockney (laughs) bastards seven degrees and they've still got their shirts on peasants yeah yeah. that's right and gloves i just i I could have listened to you try and make a statistical argument, but I just, all of my memories of St. James's Park are basically misery and slight, slight height issues from being. And I always used to, what I loved about sitting in those seats was that you could see weather fronts coming across. (laughs) It's horrific, isn't it? It's basically, it's exactly the same stadium as Celtic, isn't it? It's the same design the same, same architect same yeah. yeah and it's the same there as well obviously because it's the same design and it's just like you climb 30 on rows back and you're like i've still got 20 to go and my <laughs> nose is bleeding this is not normal and they always have a lot of um fans there who deliberately don't watch any of the game and just abuse you and uh questioning your sexuality most of the time in a kind yeah. of unbelievably non-pc way it's halfway um, to Villa, isn't it, in terms of that you realise there's an actual football match going on here and you didn't yeah. come here to yeah. insult me, right? Yeah. When it comes to playing Newcastle and the grief that we get up there, uh, particularly from their fans, because we're not liked at all. I mean, they do, they th- they do. when well, I'm going to get onto this in a minute, they do consider themselves to be an, a bit like the Scousers, to be a nation uh, in, in and of themselves. And I, I always think of Get Carter. When I when I think of Newcastle, oh, what a wonderful film! Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Michael Caine, brilliant in that, and he he does that. He does a Chelsea. He goes up north to Newcastle and sorts the Geordie bastards out. You know, you're a big man, but you're out of shape. For me, it's a full time <laughs> job. So behave yourself. That's what we need to be doing when we go on the pitch against Newcastle. Do you think it is something to do with? I think they possibly remember that season they got relegated, and on that day we were playing at Sunderland. And the Chelsea and Sunderland fans, I remember, because I was there, had a massive loving and celebrated Newcastle's relegation. Yeah. Maybe word got back. 
maybe it did. Maybe it did. I don't know. But I mean, talking of, of Newcastle United and the Geordie Nation, I mean, there's another myth, right? Here's the other. Here's the Tyneside myth part two. Okay, are they? I mean, because you know, this is all set against the backdrop this weekend of them potentially becoming the richest club in the world through the nefarious wealth of uh, Mohammed bin uh, bin. Was it bin Sar? What is it, what is his name? J.K. M.B.S. Bin Salad. I don't know. I don't know. Can't bin bin uh, bin Dipper. Mohammed Mohammed bin Dipper. We'll call him that. Bin Dipper. Yeah. Anyway, it's all set on the context of the fact they're about to become the richest club in the world, and that that could potentially be a threat to us in a few years' time. But the reality is, you know, are are they really, JK? I ask you before, Alex, because of your wonderful seniority and you've been around long enough to really have some perspective. Because <laughs> I'm old. Because I'm well, an old master. Put it this yeah. way. You were old enough to go to games when Newcastle won their last substantial trophy, which is the, the Intercity Fairs Inter-City Cup. Intercity Fairs when Bobby Moncur was Bobby Moncur. He was the Bobby captain. Why, hey? That's right. He was. You know, and, the, and that was 1969. I was only four then, so you know, are they a big club? Because they always going around saying they think they are. I'm not having it, to be honest, mate. Well, they're, they're huge. They're a huge club, and they've got an enormous stadium, and they've got a massive. Um, they were they were they're a huge club in that they had a great tradition in the 40s and the 50s with Word Jackie Milburn. Word Jackie Milburn, and um, and uh, and and they were decent when Shearer was there, but they they've hardly won anything since. You know, for you know, young Alex wishes to. Climb in, go on there, go on there. I was just going to say, the reason they've got such a high opinion of themselves is because they're a one-club town. So there's no one to actually question them because how far from Newcastle do you have to go to find any more civilization? I'm laughing at the idea that they may be a super... If they're a super club in five years' time, you can come back and slap me based on this podcast because they won't be. Do you remember Rob Lee when he signed for them? Yeah. He signed without going up there and he drove for four hours... And then realised he was like fucking halfway there and was like, what have I done? Michael Owen, in the days before anyone gave a crap about their carbon footprint, used to chop her into the place because he didn't want to live there. There are some things you can't surmount and their location and the fact that it's freezing cold and no one can understand what they're saying is one of them. (laughs) I mean, possibly three. I lost count there. To be utterly fair, I mean, you know, I've been to Newcastle and I... I mean, two two things. My, my, and I actually went to St James's Park as well. This is, was, was apart from games. I actually spent a day working there, and I interviewed Alan Shearer and would you believe Jermaine Jenis and Stephen Carr for a program I was making. And you know, I will say this is that new. It, it is incredible. You come out of the station, and St James's Park just dominates the city. It, it it's just so big compared to everything else, and it is like a cathedral. And the other thing I would say is that Newcastle is an absolutely cracking night out. I mean, it is just billy bonkers. If you ever want to go and have a great night out, Newcastle is the place. Um, and if you want to get battered in terms of getting drunk, it's also the place. And well, the other thing I would say is that Geordies, in my experience, are very friendly, decent people. I, I, I've got no axe to grind with the Geordies. I find them quite interesting and fun. Um, but I would underline what Alex said. I think that Newcastle are the biggest club in Newcastle. And I'll mm. leave it at that. Because I think that's the issue, isn't it, really? You know, they, they they have all of that because there's no competition up there. I mean, at the risk of making any more enemies in the space of one podcast, if up the road is Middlesbrough, which looks like freaking Chernobyl, then you are going to feel pretty good about yourself, are you? When you factor in the rest of the country, the rest of the league, I just don't, they're never going to have 
that worldwide appeal, they're never going to be a super club. No, they no. might be a very rich club. It's Bin Salmon, apparently. No, I prefer Bin Dipper. I think that's... Or Bin, Bin Salmon is funnier. Okay, all right, fair enough. Um, I mean, of course, having been horribly rude about the Geordies, it reminds me of a Monty Python song, no, Don't Please Don't Be Beastly... Oh, no, it's no Coward, isn't it? Please Don't Be Beastly to the Germans. Remember that song, JK? Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's in the hit parade when you were a kid, I suspect. I was about to say, I remember it being released. Well, there we go. I'm hoping that all of this uh, curmudgeonliness about the, the Geordies and the Geordie nation is not setting us up for a monstrous rick. Because, of course, you know, having been acquired by uh, MBS and uh, Saudi Arabian money uh, and having got rid of uh, both, you know, the loathed Ashley, who, the, who we know for a fact they hated with a passion, and How much also, profit did he make, Chidge? How much profit? Did I, he make? I don't know, mate. I don't know. Enough to walk away, clearly. Uh, yeah. But of course, they've also got rid of uh, Steve Bruce, who weirdly, they, well, I don't know, maybe not weirdly at all. We've hated plenty of managers in our time, but they loathe him. So they're riding a bit of a crest of a wave at the moment. This is going to be their first home game since, um, you know, the takeover happened and they got rid of Bruce. Um, they've now got, is it Graham Jones in charge, who's a far better coach, I think, than Steve Bruce ever was? I'm I'm full of a bit of concern and worry about manager boost and all of that kind of malarkey. Uh, and I mean, then there's all sorts of other things that, you know, like I like to jinx it every week when we do this show, JK. Yes. Okay. I found another one. Uh, Newcastle are without a Premier League win this season, having drawn four and lost five and yeah. are on the cusp of going 10 opening league games without a victory for only the third time in their history. Right, the last two times they did this were eighteen ninety eight and ninety nine, and two thousand and eighteen nineteen. Uh, so there we go. That that worries me. That worries me. So um, are, should we be worried about about them at all with this whole you know kind of takeover, losing Bruce and Ashley bounce? But which Chelsea are we talking about? Who goes up there and loses despite them being, um, despite us being top of the league and them being practically bottom? Is it? Um... I suppose it could be Chelsea of last year. I think we did that, didn't we, last year? We always year. do it. Mate. We always do it, don't we? Um, uh, we, we shouldn't really have anything to worry about, um, except uh, Callum Wilson is a very good player. I've always I actually coveted him. Do you remember I suggested we sign him from Bournemouth because I thought he was such a, um, uh, a powerhouse, which he's revealing again. He scored a very good goal the other day, didn't he? The first fastest goal, but then they lost to Spurs. Um and uh, Ryan Fraser of Bournemouth, I was thought was a decent winger. I don't think he's been playing very much. But you may find that um, the, the the new coach has a different approach that that motivates them. But I, I I don't really see that this team under Tuchel shouldn't lose to to this side to to the Newcastle side. I mean, I think if they they'll make some interesting purchases in January, they'll probably get fringe players from various um, European clubs who Mourinho, uh, Bale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, prob- probably, but it, you know, it will, it will definitely increase their uh, their talent pool. It will, they'll have a whether they create a team. I mean, there's always this problem with with somebody investing huge amounts of money that um, um, it, it it never gels. You don't get the right combination. Um, it's it's never a foregone conclusion that they will they will take over the division or they'll become one of the top five because uh, you just have to look through the number of clubs you've got billionaires as their uh, as as their um, owners and uh they just don't they don't get the right combination you know we and in a sense um uh it didn't really matter about a um, 
Abramovich being our our, our uh, owner over the past few years because we haven't had, we haven't won the title for four years. So um, it, it's down to player selection and and management and coaching t- uh, team. And it may be that it it doesn't work out for them because it is a bit far up up um, uh, up the uh, up near Scotland, isn't it? This is the problem, and it's not got the same appeal as as London or even Manchester. And having said that, though, if they offer absolutely ludicrous wages you'll get anybody playing there but i still um, i defy them to have the um the consistency that everybody believes will occur just by having a, a very rich owner yeah i i think that's a good point alex you want to come in yeah i i also just i'm on a roll now i've started to wake up and i haven't been here for a while can we all just pause to laugh at the fact that steve bruce appeared to be surprised that a billionaire owner who can afford to hire anyone he wants arrived at newcastle and got rid of his useless behind he actually <laughs> seemed quite surprised to be fired i was like have i think it to be fair to i think he was uh, he was surprised it it wasn't going to happen until there was a transfer window you know i think <laughs> it was that because they have they have left it a bit you know they put the They've put the coach, the other coach in charge. You know, he's probably thinking I'm better than him. But it's yeah, I agree. I agree. Oh, I mean, like fact, he wasn't the... taken out the back and stoned by that guy. <laughs> That's excellent. Oh, I had his hand cut off. No, shush. We can't take you. No, no, we will not. We no. will not get drawn in on Don't... the human rights abuses of the Newcastle United ownership. We'll just say that I totally agree with JK and that you can't polish a turd. Well, indeed, you can't. And uh, don't, don't. The, what's flashed into my head with J.K. saying that is the wonderful scene in Life of Brian and the stoning with John. Cle- yeah. You remember that with John Cleese trying to stop all those women who were actually the Monty Python team dressed as women stoning some poor, uh, you know, poor Christian. I think. I mean, there's there's an awful lot of other things that are quite interesting about this, um, which is you know Newcastle have been absolutely awful, uh, really. I mean, I, I think Callum Wilson. I think that's a, a really good good shout actually about him jk because he's i think if he scores if he scores on uh saturday tomorrow um it, that'll be his fourth consecutive uh sorry looking to score in four consecutive premier league appearances for only the second time um but there's some other really interesting things in our favor here too so you know we've conceded the joint fewest league goals across europe's top five leagues uh that uh you know uh what was it? yeah this is interesting actually because uh, a quarter of our Premier League goals have been scored in the final 15 minutes. And Newcastle are particularly susceptible after the break, conceding 12 times in the second half. So that's uh, an interesting indicator of how things might go. But uh, JK was mentioning what Graham Jones might do and the way that they might play. And actually what they've already done, or what he's already done, is he's changed uh, changed the formation. I mean, Bruce used to play 4-1-4-1, all right? What what Jones has done is he's uh, he's changed it to five three two, so he's put five in the defence, uh, which effectively well I mean obviously that's going to make them a little bit more solid and they they looked a little bit more solid although although thus far I think they're the only team that's uh, not had a nil you know not had a shutout all season so they do leak goals still. It's like five defenders, but what defenders? Well, there is always that, isn't there? <laughs> But you also, know, if you've got the five defenders, it once again relies heavily on the ball being booted down the pitch and running after yeah, it. Yeah, but they've got Callum Wilson and, and uh, St. Maximum. Very quick. And, and who both of whom are capable of running after it. And, and the, I, would, I would say, you know, arguably their best players, you know. Yeah, they both are. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So, all, but, you need, all you need, though, in these situations is a, 
is a, a completely inept referee, which is 90% of them. And, um, you know, it could go, it could go against you, but you then have to have the fortitude to, uh, to try and, and, and sweat it out and just nick a goal, which they're very capable of because we've got much better players than them. Yeah. Well, we have. So, I mean, how, how do you think it's going to pan out, Alex, and what are you going to predict? Oh, I'm going to go against everything I believe in when we play in that rat hole and say we will win 2-0. OK, JK? Yeah, I think we'll win 2-0 as well. Mm. I, I, we should do. I mean, you know, we're we're easily two goals better than them. Easily. And I think we'll put out a very strong side tomorrow. I still stand by what I, I said, you know, um, over the last kind of weeks since Lukaku and Werner got injured that actually we will probably find it we will be more productive in front of goal than we have been with those lot um i think it's great having callum on the on the wing where he belongs on the left i think Havertz will come good he looked a good again against southampton nearly scored an absolutely super goal and i think that whatever thomas tuchel's doing with the wing backs is clearly working as well so we're easily two, maybe three goals better than Newcastle, but it's Newcastle, and I just think all these I think weird. You've got something, something when you say that we should be aware of their bounce as well. Yeah, I just worry about that, and just the you know the whole they you know they're trying to avoid you know ten to, to have not winning in ten games in the Premier League and all those kind of things worry me. But I I, I still think we're we're good enough to beat them, and I but I don't think it's going to be easy. I think it might be an horrible game, and it might be really tight, and we might just nick it. So I'm I'm going to go two one. So there you go. What do you think of that, J.K.? Yes, I think it's um that's quite reasonable. They will score, but I I, I I'm looking at all the positives. We are a terrifically def- uh, capable defensive side. We're not we're not defensive team. We're particularly capable in defence, and we're um. We've got some very good midfields. All you need is Kante to be playing top top of his form, and we'll uh, we'll we'll win it easily. I think. I know it seems utterly stupid predicting that Chelsea will concede a goal at the moment, but um, <laughs> you know this is why I'm at the bottom of the table of the Prem Predictions League. But I'm... well, having said that, so am I. I'm the worst ever, so you shouldn't pay any attention to any of my predictions, despite the fact that I get nearly all the Chelsea predictions right. Yeah, indeed. I know people listen to this show, and, and we should always put this caveat emptor on there that Chidge and JK are at the bottom of the Premier League predictions table. So take everything we say with a pinch of salt, but. Hey ho, we're going. I'm going with two one, and I think you you are both going two nil, aren't you? Aye, aye. So not Bobby a... D's gone four nil. He's gone large. He's gone large. Daryl's gone two nil. Daryl's quite sensible. Chev's gone for three nil. There we go. We will see. All will be revealed tomorrow. Look, anybody who's going up there and who's listened to this on the way, uh, enjoy the game. We'll be thinking of you up there and uh, have a good time up there obviously uh, and uh, bring back the three points uh, I shall be watching it on a dodgy stream somewhere I suspect now JK... beware altitude sickness as well people beware altitude sickness absolutely take your parachutes with you uh, and those now... cocaine tablets they give you on the Inca trail indeed now JK and I are going to be back uh, on Monday for the main Chelsea fancast show and we'll be joined by Dan Silver when I've told him because I haven't actually put the schedule out yet sorry people but I will soon I'm sure Dan will be fine with that. Um, Alex, I, I, you know, I'm just delighted to see you. It's lovely to have you back. I'll do before mid-November, but stick me on the schedule after that. I, I will. What a good idea. I will indeed. Uh, JK, as always, an absolute delight and a pleasure to see you on a Friday evening. Fantastic to be on the show and a lovely surprise to see mm. Alex. 
Was indeed. Always lovely to see Alex. Uh, also lovely, as always, to see so many of you lovely people in uh, the Mixler chat room. Uh, love your comments, as always. It's always a delight to see so many of you in there with us on a Friday evening. Hopefully you'll be back with us on Monday as well. So thanks for listening. See you next Monday. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, keep it chills. Up the chill. Up the chill. Yeah.